Augustan Read, Chapter 13 of the Shakespeare Scribe, Sophia Arden. We could not depart the following day until town sailors are customs ready, so we all got only as far as Southwell before nightfall. Though it was a far smaller town than Newark, the shares decided to try a performance there in the only enclosed space that was large enough, the wool market. Despite the stench, we drew an enthusiastic crowd that must have comprised two-thirds of the pop- of the local population. Bullied by our success, we went to, on to perform Mansfield, Chesfield, and Doncaster, where we were equally well received. By the time we reached York, we were ahead enough so that Mr. Hemmings could pay the hired man six shillings apiece, but but the apprentices three, our regular weekly wage. But we had been on the road for nearly a month now, and these were the first wages we had seen. Still, it was certainly better than nothing. I had hoped the company might send a share of our earnings to Mr. Poe and Sander, but Mr. Hemmings did not feel we could spare any yet. Mr. Burbage, he assured me, would see that they and the boys were provided for. All the same, upon our arrival at the Black Swan in York, I wrote a letter to Sander at once and enclosed a shilling to buy tra- treats for the boys and Teddy. Because we had changed our route, no letter from London had reached us yet. The sharers had na- by now a firmer notion of where our travels were likely to take us. Once we left York, we were to turn southwest and make a long loop that would take us through the Leeds, Manchester, Chester, Shrewsbury, Coventry, and Mr. Shakespeare's hometown of Stratford before we returned to London. I wrote out this in to Sander, hoping he might send a reply in care of one of the towns along our route. The sharers had expressed concern that, with the slow progress we'd made since leaving Newark, Pembroke's men or some other company might have preceded us. We were gratified to learn that that no London troop had played here in years, only a few companies in, of lesser stature who hailed from the northern shires. The city fathers examined our papers carefully and, satisfied that we were a renowned and reputable company, engaged us to play the Merchant Adventures Hall from an entire week. In addition, we were to receive our remuneration not from the audience but from 
the city treasury to the tune of 30 shillings per performance. At the end that evening, we celebrated our good fortune with generous rounds of ale. Mr. Shakespeare even took a night off from struggling with love's labors on, for which I cannot say I was sorry. Despite the title, I had begun to wonder whether we would indeed win out as the result of all our labors, whether, whether the play would at some point simply fizzle out like a firework with a faltery fuse. Sal Palvi, wearing his cheerful face, consented to join us in our festivities for a time. Before he retired his stable, I saw him draw Mr. Armin aside and engage him in a conversation that, from their expressions, appeared to be a serious one. When they had drunk all we could hold, the ale they served as princes was, of course, watered down, or my head would not have stood much of it. We were making art for our beds. Mr. Armin beckoned me. I stepped into his room. I want your thoughts on something, he said. I smiled angrily in a mood to grant anyone anything. Some elements, no doubt, I said, and hiccuped. I seem to have become the company's unfunctional physician. Uh, there's a tongue twister sir. In your location, Wilson's. Say it's three times revenue. Unfocational position. Unofficial position. Unofficial position. I am most efficient in my official position as a fisherman's physician. Mr. Armin patted my shoulder lightly, but it wasn't enough to unbalance me, and I sat down around You've had too much ale, he said. I, I said, that's me ailment. Perhaps we should discuss, discuss this tomorrow. Nay, nay, I'm all right. What's it? An upset stomach, a sore throat? I'm not looking for medical advice. It Theodore Salpalvi has asked that when we do Titus and Bonifus, he he be given the part of Lavonia. I've linked taking it back. But but that's Mim part. I know. But you've been so busy helping Mr. Shakespeare, I thought you might be happy to have one less responsibility. <coughs> so you promised it to me? No, I told him I'd discuss it with you. Oh, I said. Though I tried not to show it, I was hurt by the proposal, for it implied that I could be irrevocably be replaced. I did not wish to seem temporarily or an unreasonable, but whether I did care to give up one of my best parts, especially the self-healthy. Does a can the part, Mr. Armin? We've been studying it. So that was what you 
think of to those early morning solar lessons. I wonder that other parts keep in committing to memory. Feeling as though I've been wrong, I sit suddenly and think I can do better better than I really can. Which it's not a question of who does it better. You know that. Sal feels you're not using him enough. You're not using him enough, that's all. Then let him play the doctor and take the dictation, I replied heatedly. Then I slumped forward, aware of it, hung my head. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I'm try I'm tired and I've drunk too much. I know. I should not have bought up brought up this up this but brought this up now. Go to bed. We'll take it up at a more open uh opponent time. I rose and walked unsteadily to the door. Nay, I said, enforced with nonchalantness. Anna wants the part I may have it. I know I've no claim on it. We were sealed to play Titus and Jonicus on Wednesday afternoon, as I now had no need to review my lines. I asked for that morning off, and Mr. Garman granted it. Sam begged to come with me, but I put him off. A journey into one's past must be a long, must be made long. The orphanage was even more dismal than I had remembered it. The squat square stone building had once been a prison, and though the bars had been removed from the narrow windows from the doorways, the instant walls had been whitewashed, and there was no getting rid of the air of gloom that pervaded the place. The clamor of children's voices came from a big room that served as classroom and dining hall, and it sounded so like always I had fancied for a moment. I truly had gone back in time, until I saw a figure coming toward me down the hall. At first, I did not recognize her, so changed was she. In my memory, she was vigorous, imposing woman with a voice that any player would have envied. Eight years had had passed since I left the orphanage to apprentice to Dr. Wright had not been kind to her. She was still routed as always, but no longer robust. Her hair was had gone gray, and the spring had gone from her step. Mistress McGregor, I said intently. I, she replied. What is it? You may, you may not recall me. I said. I'm which? Her worn face brightened. Not recall you? I should say I can. To my surprise, she put her arms about me and kissed both my cheeks. Then stepped back and looked me over, still gripping my arms. You've grown, she exclaimed, and then laughed. Of course, twould be a wonder if you had not. I smiled. This is Mistress McGregor, I remembered. Well, I said, embarrassed, I've not grown nearly as much as I'd like. I'm a player now, you know. Are you indeed? She said enthusiastically. A player? And that might be... You 
can, an actor who plays in London. She put a hand in her mouth in astonishment. You were never. I, and with the Lord Chamberlain's men too. They're, they're playing here in York this week, and you'd dare to come. She looked dubious. You would a person have to dress up fine like? Oh, nay. Only the actors. Then I'll do it, and if I can get away. She squeezed my arm tightly. Lodge, I'm so happily I'm so happy to see you and to hear that you'd make something of yourself. Not that I ever doubted it. You can get some that's become of the other boys? She shook her head she shook her head sadly. The play claims many of them. Och for the time this place was more like a pest house than an orphanage. Those who lived through it and left standing a seldom care in back again. I felt a painful pang of guilt. For some reason, or perhaps for none at all, fortune had seen to it that I escaped the city before the plague struck in 1594. Have you been to see your old master? I didn't mind his name. Dr. Bright. Aye, that's him. I always thought it a poor name for him. He did not seem very bright to me. He threw up, she threw up her hands and exclaimed, Out, ouch, blast me. Had his name not come up, I'd have forgotten, sure, sure. I've something for you. You have? I. She led me to her office, not by the ear for a change. And I have sent it to you. I'd have sent it to you, but you'd gone for, from Dr. Bright, and he could not or would not say where. With one of the jangling keys at her waist, she opened the top of the battered desk and fished some object from one of the compartments inside. When she placed it in my hand, I saw that it was an ornate crucifix on a delicate chain. The figure of Christ was carved on ivory and set into a gold-fingered cross. I glanced up at Mistress McGregor, bewildered. What? Why? By the bits, she said, and I'll tell you. Optionally, I took a seat on the rickety stool, feeling seven again, about to be chastised for my misbehavior. Mistress McGregor sat on the desk and went on. About a year ago, I was summoned to the poorhouse to be the side of a dying woman named Polly, not a resident of the poorhouse in town, but a housekeeper here. I nodded, wondering what could be leading, what this could be leading. I tend the woman but little, for, so, and I was surprised that she should ask for me in her last hours. I was even more surprised when she took a crucifix from the stable 
from the table beside the bed and pressed them into my hand. That, what's this then? Says I, and she says, so low I could scarcely hear her. She says, I done a bad thing, and I want to make amends. Well, says I, perhaps I will fetch a priest then. Nay, says she, only you can help. And she points to that district. I took that off a woman as died in childbirth years ago. I can this was wrong, dear, but I'd like to look uh, of it and to, and I told myself she'd had no use for it longer. I've regretted it ever since, she says. I couldn't even bring myself to wear it ever or to tell anyone that I'd done. Why tell me then? says I. Because, says she, you can't rightly belong to you, for the child she bore was given over to you. I waited to Mistress McGregor to go on. Instead, she gazed expectingly at me as a player, which at another though's turn it is it is to speak. When, then the import of what she had said catch my breath. Finally, I managed to respond. You mean to say that the child was me? But, but how can you be sure? You must have taken in dozens of orphans, those mothers who died in the poorhouse. I but she tapped the worn record book that lay open near her desk. I've checked my records for that year. It was the year that Polly was first hired on the poorhouse, and there were on, were only two such as cases, and in only one of them did the mother die before she should have given the bare name. The room fell silent save for taking of the clock of the mantel and the far-off sound of children's voices. I felt curiously displaced, detached and dreamlike, much the way I felt when I was playing a role upon stage, with fingers that seemed not to belong to me. I turned the crucifix over in my palm, on the riverside side, someone had scratched some words, doubtless with the point of a knife. I had to wipe my eyes on my sleeve before I could make them out. For Sarah. Was that... Was that her name then? Sarah? Hi. That was your mother. My mother. I whispered the words, trying to... Trying them out upon my tongue. Your mother, after all this time, I raised upon my tongue, upon uh, um, my eyes, beseeching to Mistress McGregor. Did this, did this Polly tell you you ought about her then? What she was like? What she looked like even? 
Mistress McGregor shook her head regretfully. When they found their mother on the doorstep, she was near dead already. Apparently, she was, she never spoke a single word. I had no, I had no chance to question Polly any further. Nor, not long after she gave me that cross, she drew her last paging breath without even being shivering by a piece. Mistress McGregor learned toward me as though to disclose her dire secret. She was a Catholic. Her mother? I said. Nay, I meant Polly. Though for all I can, her mother as well. They're the ones as to go in the fancy classes, mostly. A Catholic, I said. I knew a little about Catholics, save that the Queen did not like them. Our enemy, Spain, was, after all, proper people by Catholics. For as far as I knew, I had never met a Catholic. But an allegiance of an old church was not, I gathered the sort of thing one would confess at the drop of a hat. I only say she may have been. I cannot say for certain. I did ask the other folk at the poorhouse if they minded your mother, but none had worked there more than a few years. I let I went through the through records for the, that month and year too, but they never told me nothing, not even her name. How would there be not would there not be a grave? I asked. Hi, but would be a pauper grave all a month. I'm sorry. I felt a pain in my hand and released I and released I had been gripping the respect so tightly that that Christ's crown of thorns had pierced my palm. I stared down at the drops of blood that welled from the wound and, and wondered if my mother too had clutched this cross for comfort as she lay dying, giving birth to me. I wiped the crucifix on my breeches. Traces of blood remained in the deep scratches that made up her name. It was a pity that whoever had engraved the message had not seen fit to add her surname. It would have given me a stronger clue to her identity, and after fifty years of being known only as Ridge, I would have had a real name at last, or half one at any rate. And she has a local lass, said Mr. McGregor. There must be someone who kent her. I, I said, a dell of hope rising with, up within me. That's so. There must be someone who would recognize his cross, his cross. But if I can't, where to look? Well, and she did belong to the old church then you might seek out others in that faith. Folk say that they stick together. 
She leaned forward again with one hand alongside her mouth, for all the world like an actor's inkling that he is about to reveal something slightly scandalous. They also say that the Catholics were founder in their drink than most. If I was you, I'd begin looking in the targets. So that was chapter 13. Bye guys, see you later. See you later, see you later, see ya, see ya later. Bye guys!